morning, everybody. And praise the Lord, and you may be seated. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today, as always. And it's, I often say it, lest it be taken as just empty words, it's good to be not just in a building, but actually in the house of the Lord and actually feeling His presence. And we didn't just come to His house and find it empty, but we come to His house and find Him here ready and willing to meet with us, to share with us, and to bless and give us what we need. And I'm thankful for a God that does exactly that. He, he not only gives us what we need, but oftentimes He gives us what we want. And sometimes he gives us what we need when we don't want it. Sometimes he gives us truth when all we want is a pat on the back. But he gives us what we need. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for a God that is concerned about our needs and is not just concerned about him, about them. He is also very willing and able to minister and meet whatever our needs are. Uh, and that all being said, I didn't even tie it all together, but it is tied together now. And our subject title today is God with us. And I said all that without even thinking about tying the lesson together, but I'm thankful God is with us. And I think he's with us today. And uh, <clears throat> you can go to a lot of places you can find a lot of churches, you can find a lot of religions, you can find a lot of gatherings of people, but not every place that gathers together is going to find the sacred presence of God flowing among them. It often makes us weep, sometimes it makes us jump, sometimes it makes us excited, sometimes it makes us convicted and feel guilty, but uh, when you come in the presence of God, you're going to feel something if God's presence is there. Uh, I, I commented on somebody's comment this past week. Uh, there are some folks who are very, very quick to condemn others. And they see others that don't have the same understanding they have or don't have the same knowledge they have or maybe just don't see it like they do. And it's real easy to condemn somebody that doesn't share your particular way of thinking. But uh, I've said it many times, and I'll say it again this morning, the closer you get to Jesus, the less you're going to condemn others. Because the closer you get to Jesus, Jesus is light. Jesus is revelation. And if you re get real close to Jesus, all of a sudden it's like walking into a, you're in a dark room and Jesus walks in, it's like the light turns on. And then if you're naked, you're going to realize I'm naked. If you're half-dressed, and I'm not talking about the physical dress, I'm talking about your spiritual attire. If you get in the presence of Jesus, you're going to see your own inadequacies. You're going to see your own shortcomings, your own faults and failures. And when I'm looking at myself in the mirror, uh, I'm not going to see everybody else. I remember one time we had a, 
an object lesson at church, and it was, it was really funny, and I still have one particular image in my mind from that, but uh, I was teaching a Bible study. This is when I was just a young man. I was in Modesto, California, and uh, I was teaching a lesson about gossip and the dangers of gossip and uh, saying things you shouldn't say, and uh, I literally brought a casket into the service and uh, put it there and said, we're going to bury gossip tonight. And I gave my Bible exhortation, and, uh, and at the end I said, I want everybody to come by and pay your last respects to Sister Gossip or Brother Gossip, whichever the case might be, and come by and pay your respects. And I still remember one uh, elderly lady uh, that came and she walked like this when she walked and she walked up there and went looked in there and what it was everybody that came by but I still have that in my mind because it was so funny at the time but what I had in the casket I had a big mirror and, so, and we're burying gossip so you come by and you look in it and I still have that in my head. I don't know where that came from this morning, but I still have that picture in my mind of her waddling up there and then just almost like a, a turkey looking over, you know, into the trough. She, so she got her eyes full. Can you see it, Phyllis? <laughs> uh, but we bared gossip that night, hopefully. Uh, but... I'm thankful that we have God with us, and God's presence reveals a whole lot of things. But one of the main things it's going to reveal to us, it's going to reveal who we are, who we are. And, you know, it's easy when you're standing off from the distance, and uh, you're looking, and you're just kind of giving everybody the snake eye, you know, just, just figuring them out. Yeah, yeah, I got that one, yeah, that one. Uh, and you can see the faults of others, but uh, the comment I made to somebody this past week was that I think it might be time for you to get a little closer to Jesus, because if you get a little closer to Jesus, you won't see everybody else's faults so much. You won't feel the need to correct everybody else and their, their inadequacies. You'll see your own and realize, I've got enough to work on myself without having to spend my energy and my time trying to straighten up everybody else. And sometimes some folks just feel like it's their job to correct everybody else's faults. But when you get close to Jesus, you realize I've got a long ways. There's a song we used to sing about that said, I've got a long ways to go to be like the Lord. And so there's a lot of, lot of work that we have to do on ourselves. And... One of the greatest ways that we can correct the inadequacies of others is take care of the inadequacies of ourselves and set the right kind of example. It's probably the greatest ways you'll ever be able to strengthen and help somebody else. The scripture in Matthew, the first chapter, the 23rd verse, the scripture says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us. 
And I'm thankful today that we can have God with us. And I'm glad also today to tell you, and we'll talk about it some as we go along today, I'm thankful that I know who that God is. It's not just some distant being. It's not just some God that is way off some, somewhere yonder in the heavens, but it's God with us. On a daily basis, God can be with us. I'm also glad, and we may share a little bit of that with you today, uh, about the revelation of who Jesus is. I'm glad I haven't got stuck in my own head like some folks do that have been bound by traditionalism through the years. I'm glad I don't have stuck in my head that there's a, a gray-bearded God somewhere up in the heavens a long way from us, and then there's a, a brown-bearded God that got nailed to a cross, and then there's this dove that's sitting on the perch somewhere that flutters around or whatever, and that's three separate and distinct persons in the Godhead. That by itself is impossible. God is not a person, never was a person. God is a spirit. And they that worship, the Bible says that God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And I'm thankful today to know who Jesus is. And I'm glad to know that the God of glory, the creator of the universe, had a desire to be among mankind. And God in spirit form could not come and dwell among man because we don't understand the spirit world too well. I often describe it just so you can understand where I'm coming from. I've been to, I don't remember whether it's Disneyland or Knott's Berry Farm. It's, uh, it's been so many years ago that I don't remember which one it was. But one of them, they had like the haunted house and you're I believe it was on a little rail or cart or something going through there, and all of a sudden you see these figures coming across the, and what it is, they had this sheet-like ghost thing up there, and it's on a rail of some kind coming across, and they have strobe lights going, so it gives you the illusion, oh, there's a ghost going through there. And the reason that happens that way is because with us people, humanity, we don't understand the spirit because right now in spirit form, the spirit is here today, but none of us saw the spirit. We see it's like the wind. You don't see the wind, but you see if it blows up a dust storm or if it blows a piece of paper across the room or if the trees are being leaned over, well, we see the results of the wind, but we don't see the wind. So is the spirit of God. We don't see it, but the point I'm making right now is for us as humans, we need to see something. And uh, that, that kind of something we can put a handle on. And so here comes that little ghost across the room. And the strobe light's gone. And we say, ooh, there's a ghost going through there. Uh, because that's something we can see. When in actuality, there's all kinds of spirits all over the place. And if they're all in strobe light sheet form, we'd, it, this place would be full of them even today. Uh, it's the same way that the, the waves of uh, radio or TV or whatever, they're all here right now. And we're not hearing, you know, whether it's country music or rock music or, or talk radio or whatever, you don't hear it, but it's, it's right here. It's right available to you right now. You're just not on the same frequency to be able to pick it up. And you've got to get something that gets it on the same frequency and then translates it 
where you can physically enjoy it or endure it, whichever the case might be. But uh, it's all available. But God is a spirit, and God wanted to be with humanity. He made the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, and he wanted to uh, enjoy their company. And uh, he gave them the free uh, will to choose to walk with God in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden or to become knowledge of good and evil. And because they chose to disobey God and to take the route away from God, then they became separated. Man became separated from God because God cannot, in spirit form, God cannot dwell and will not dwell in an unclean temple. And so there was a great chasm, a great separation came. But God desired to be with his people. But God in spirit form did not have the ability to rub shoulders with, body to body, and eyeball to eyeball to conversate with people. And so God became a man. God created a body. And the Bible says there was a virgin was overseen, uh, overshadowed by the, by the Holy Ghost. And Mary conceived a child without ever having, having known a man. She conceived a child within her. And that child was the robe of humanity that God put upon himself. The Bible says, so God became a man. God created. He, the Bible calls it the begotten son of God. Begotten means the created. If a, uh, if a man begots or begets a daughter or a son, uh, he causes his wife to be impregnated and the child is born and we say that's his begotten son. Well, God, who is not flesh and who is not human, the Spirit of God caused Mary to conceive and bear a child. And when that child was born, the Bible says uh, Mary was going to be with child and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is what? God with us. And so God became a man, and so the Spirit of God made a human body and dwelt in that human body. It was not a separate God. It was not a separate being. It was the person of God. Now that's key. You need to understand this. Some of you that don't understand don't have the, the understanding of the fullness of the God in Christ, uh, need to understand that was the person of God. In, in, the, in the Bible, the term God the Son, you will never find. Nowhere in the Bible will you ever find the term God the Son because the Son was not God. The Son was the begotten of God. The Son was the flesh of God. Of God. What died on the cross at Calvary was not the Spirit of God, 
because the spirit left and went three days and preached to spirits in prison. Then he came back and three days later and the, and the body was raised from the dead. What died on the cross at Calvary was the Son of God, the flesh of God, the humanity of God was executed and died on the cross at Calvary. And so the Bible says God became a man and came and dwelt among us. God, as it were, took a robe of flesh and put upon himself. And now he could live among us. A beautiful song was written probably 50 years ago by Dottie, Dottie Rambo. Uh, and I don't remember all the words of it, but she talked about uh, before God became a man, God, how would you know how I feel? You've never cried. You've never lost a loved one. You've never, you've never been sick. You've never, God in spirit form didn't know those things. So how would you know how I feel? And so the Bible says that God became a man, took on the robes of humanity. He took on human form. And as human, he felt pain. He felt hurt. He felt disappointment. He felt all of those things. God felt those and experienced those things. And because he felt and experienced those things, those became part of his uh, knowledge and understanding. The Bible says he was tempted in every way like as we are, yet without sin. And the flesh of God then became or grew to know what it meant to be tempted, what it meant to be hurt, what it meant to be brokenhearted, what it meant to be shunned or shamed, what it meant to be tortured on a cross, the cat of nine tails on his back and the crown of thorns on his head. He knew all of those things. And I, I've, I've told this congregation numerous times, and I say it again today just to get the point across, that my elderly grandmother in her 80s, in her 80s back in Arkansas told me one time when I was a young man, she said, well, you know, the Bible says that God suffered every ways like we are yet without sin. Uh, I said, but I know a way he's never suffered. And, and I said, well, Grandma, what's that? And he said, old age. <laughs> and it stumped me for a moment. I thought, well, you know, our understanding is that Jesus died at the young age of 33 years old. Uh, and so, yeah. And then I got to thinking, and I thought, what does old age bring? Well, aches and pains. I got one of those today. I... I did a, a no-no this last week. I hung up a water hose, and I was on the wrong side of the water hose, and I started to walk, and I tripped over it. I kind of hung it on the fence, and I fell, and I landed on my left knee and my uh, left shoulder, and somehow this hand got involved, so I had a three-point pain. And I, my worker had just walked out of my sight, so I laid there on the ground for a little while, thinking he would come and help me up worry over me but he didn't because he was gone so I laid there a little while and got up and uh, finally shook myself off and limped to the house and and uh, uh, everything seemed to be all right my fingers that were numb got better in a few minutes and and I, they felt all right and my shoulder was still aching a little bit I kind of winched it I guess a little bit and my knee was just skin up but seemed to be okay but uh, 
you're not supposed to, at my age, you're not supposed to be falling down. I could have done the same thing, and we could all laugh together, and I'd go on and never thought another thing about it 50 years ago. But at this age, it's not supposed to happen. It's, the fall doesn't hurt you. It's that sudden stop when you hit the ground. That's the touchy part. And so if you watch me today, I'm, I'm a little gimpy. And uh, my knee didn't hurt me for two days, and it swelled up and started giving me a lot of fits. And so I'm still fussing with that. And I got off on that because I know what it means to feel, you know, hurt and pain. Well, Jesus Christ came and lived among mankind, and uh, he was tempted in every manner like as we are, and he got to know how we feel and how we hurt. And sometimes when you're sick, sometimes you feel pain. And back to my grandmother, what does old age give? Well, aches and pains. And some of them aren't from falling. Some of them are just, I, I remind my wife quite often, uh, when we get up, we don't just bounce up and take off. Uh, there's an old uh, horse trick that if you want to make sure a horse is sound and you're going to buy a horse, you take one of his legs. I don't know which one of mine will work good enough to do it today or not. But you take them and you pull it up real tight, tighter than that. Pretend I've got it up here, okay? <laughs> it's not funny. You tighten it up real tight and you hold it there for like 30 seconds. And then you let them go and make them run. And, you know, if they can do that and then they can go ahead and trot right off, they're sound. If they don't, it's questionable. If they all of a sudden they're gimpy. Well, I always said if they did that to me and maybe run immediately, I would fall just like that. So I guess time to put me down, you know, if you know what I mean. Uh, but God has chosen to come and be with us and to know and back to my grandmother in those aches and pains that come, the aches and pains, the feeling of being forsaken. All of a sudden, sometimes you think, well, your kids don't really uh, care and don't respect you like they should, and, and they're too busy. And, you know, it's even in parenting, as you're getting older, your kids, when they're born, they need you 100% of the time. And then when they get to be uh, beginners, they only need you for you know, half the time, and then they get to be teenagers, the only time they need you is when they come by for the keys or for some money, and that's the only time they need you, and then they're off doing their own thing, uh, and then when you get old, they don't need anything, they just would you hurry up and die so I can get my inheritance, uh, and all of those feelings come with old age, and, and we laugh about that, but uh, grandmother uh, thanks. Well, you know, Jesus Christ didn't uh, live to be old, so how could he understand? But then you go back to the same scenario. I, can you imagine hanging on a cross for hours where spikes are driven through your hands and through your feet, and you're hanging there, and when your body's sagging down, it crushes your lungs and you can't breathe. So once in a while, no matter how bad it hurts on your feet and on your hands, you have to pull yourself up so you can catch a breath because when your weight sags back down, doctors tell us that it, would, it crushes the lungs where you can't catch your breath. And so you have to stretch up once in a while. And if you can imagine hanging there for hours, sometimes overnight, just hanging there in agony and hurt. 
Imagine the cat of nine tails, which was a whip that had nine links on it, not one, but nine links on it, and they tied scrapnel, uh, pieces of glass or metal on the ends of them, and they would take a bare back, and they would come down with those nine lashes, boom, and history tells us that when they'd come down with those, those would actually embed into the flesh and the muscles of the back. And that big, strong Roman soldier then would just rip it out and come down again. And because of it would, it's pretty much an execution, if you did it further, they had a law limit of 39 stripes is all they could get. And Jesus got 39 of those. And if somebody wanted to get your calculator out real quick, and put 9 times 39, you'll find out, find out how many times those pieces of glass and metal dug into the flesh of the back and were ripped out. To the point that oftentimes uh, history tells us that their arms would become useless because the muscle stuff that was torn that they could no longer. It was no wonder that Jesus couldn't carry his cross and fell beneath the load and someone else had to carry the cross for him the rest of the way. And then hanging on the cross and hearing the crowd before he got to the cross, hearing the crowd crying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And it's always been troubling to me, Brother McIntosh, that in that crowd were people that he had opened blinded eyes. He had healed cripples. He had called uh, lame people to walk. He had unstopped deafened ears. He had forgiven sins. And yet now they've got caught up in the crowd crying, crucify him, crucify him. Remember back to Grandma and uh, what does old age bring, being forsaken by your friends? What I'm pointing out to you today, that even though he only lived 33 years, he had the agony and the suffering that old age would bring. He had the forsaken by family and friends that old age would bring. And everything that you could say about that old age brings on, on all of us that get up in years uh, Jesus Christ suffered them in a way beyond what any of us probably ever will or ever have had to endure. Yet he cried, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We have God with us. So God in his humanity or God in his divinity, God in his spirit form, realized that he could not really communicate with man, mankind until he came and lived among them and suffered as they. He knew their joys and their sorrows. He knew their ambitions. He knew their philosophies. He knew what it mean, meant to be comfortable and uncomfortable. And he became it all so he could identify with you and I. God became a man and he lived among us. And that was God with us. And in, human, in humanity... Humanity being his disciples did not understand when he said, I'm going to leave. Now, mind you, for the last three, three and a half years, they have walked with Jesus and they have served with him and they have been led by him. They really didn't have to make any decisions. Because if Jesus said, we're going to Capernaum, they headed out to Capernaum. If Jesus said, no, we're going to sit right here, we sit right here. If Jesus said, no, we're not going to go get groceries, we're just going to use this little boy's lunch and we're going to feed the multitudes. They were just with him. 
everything. They just followed him and did what they were told. But he said, now I'm going to leave you. And they did not understand. All of a sudden, the one that has taken care of their every need and every directive and every uh, passion and, and every decision that had to be made, it basically was already made for them. They, he made it for them. And they just kind of went along with it. But now he's going to leave them and they're going to be all on their own. And they did not understand when he said, I'm going to leave, but I will not leave you comfortless. But what was the next part? What did he say? I will come to you. I will not leave you comfortless, but I'll send back the comforter in my name. The comforter being the Holy Ghost. Let's go back again. The God of the universe is the God of the spirit that flung the worlds into existence and created mankind and created the animals and the, the sun, the moon, the stars and all that created it all. That God said, I'm going to become a man and he made himself a human body and he came and dwelt in that body. And those around him became comfortable with him there healing the mobs following him or the crowds following him and healing them all ministering to them all, forgiving them all. And now he says he's going to be caught away. And what are we going to do? He said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. But I'm going to come to you in different form. And so now the God of the universe that flung the worlds into existence, that became a man, was going to be physically caught out away from mankind. But he said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless, but I'm going to come back. And no longer am I going to be walking in human form beside you, but now I'm going to empower you by being in you. And it was the same spirit that flung the worlds into existence. And it was the same spirit that indwelt the human body for 33 years on earth that is going to come back and dwell within you and I in spirit form. And so we understand who Jesus Christ is, and we understand that God is with us. He's not driving down the road with us with a human form sitting next to us. <clears throat> and I, I, I have some doves that, that I have purchased and raised some and have them in pens and then I open the pens and let them go around my farm. And I, I hear them buzzing through the trees even now as spring is kind of coming. They, some of them seem like they kind of disappeared and all of a sudden I'm seeing them again and they're I'm hearing in the trees and on the roof of the house. And there's one particular likes to go all the way up to the highest peak of my house. He sits right on the very top and sets, sets up there and coos. And I just like to have them flying around there. I, the hawks get them and uh, cats get them. And I have to buy some more and turn them loose. But I like them flying around there. And, but God is more than a little dove. And that comes from... Uh, the representation is that the Holy Ghost fell on them on the day of Pentecost and it came down likened unto a dove. And so someone just said, oh, oh, we got this little, little dove deal. There's God. No, the Bible didn't say it was a dove. He said it was likened unto a dove. And if you've ever watched doves fly, uh, I have hunted doves. And if you're a tree hugger here this morning, I don't want to offend you, but I've I've taken a shotgun, and when they come flying by, their little boogers are hard to hit sometimes because they're 
they're like that sometimes when they're coming in. You just, they just dip and dive and go all over the place. And what the Bible says is that the Spirit of the Lord came in like as a dove. It just swooped down and sat upon each of them. Uh, and that's why it, it, it wasn't a dove flying in. Now, we use a dove, and a dove is a very docile and very gentle bird and, and is very weak and frail and tender and, and all of that, that stuff. And, that stuff. and it's, it's a nice little symbol, but it's likened unto a dove. So if you want to use a dove for a, a Christian symbol or whatever, well, it's a, good, it's a good nature to embody or good nature to emulate. Because it's easy and it's soft and it's gentle and it's not ferocious. And I've never seen two doves, you know, clawing at each other trying to scratch their eyes out. They're, they're a sweet bird and nature's little bird and, and nice little bird. So it's a good comparison, but the Holy Ghost isn't a dove. It might come down into a service like as a dove and just kind of sweep, sweep down uh, as a dove. It, it, I'm just... I don't know, my mind's, my mind's just uh, tweaking on me today. I suddenly remembered a story I heard many, many years ago about this preacher that was trying to get his crowd all riled up. And, and uh, he was preaching about the Spirit of the Lord being a dove. And he hired this little fella to get up on the roof. And there was a hole up in there, kind of a little chimney type deal. And he said, at a certain point, uh, he said, I want you to uh, just release this dove right down into the down through the hole right of the congregation so he's preaching away and and he sends down a dove and he's preaching around a little bit more and I don't remember exactly the the punchline but finally he got to where the little guy was out of doves and he once again commanded a dove to be entered and the little boy stuck his head down through the hole and said uh, we ain't got no more doves <laughs> he ran out of doves but it was a cute story but how do we get off on doves anyway? But the Holy Ghost is more than just a dove. It's more than just the physical dove, but it, it was the nature of. And, and, and God is more than just uh, God the Father and God the Son and, and God the Holy Ghost. Uh, I'm glad that I understand that God reveals himself in many ways. Uh, somebody says, oh, you don't believe in the Trinity. Yes, I believe in the Trinity. I believe in the triune manifestations of God. I believe God manifests himself as the God of creation. God manifests himself as the Son in redemption. God manifests himself as the Holy Ghost uh, in indwelling spirit. But I'm glad to understand today that I wasn't confused by the religious philosophies of the world today that twisted men around and make statements like the three persons in the Godhead. The only person that there ever was and ever will be in the Godhead is the flesh of Jesus Christ. Uh, but God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And I'm glad to understand that. And I'm thankful that I can cry, Jesus, help me. And I've got everything there is to be with God. That's God's name. And I've called on the name of Jesus to bring God. I can say, God, I need you. And I've got it all. I can say, oh, I need the Holy Ghost right now. 
And that's the embodiment of God in us. And I'm glad I understand that it's not separate persons or deities or beings, but it all encompasses, as the Bible teaches over and over, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thy shalt serve him with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm glad I know who God is. And I'm thankful that I have God with us today. And whether you need God the creator or, or you need to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ or you need the comfort of the Holy Ghost, you've got it all available to you right now at any time. It's all available. And all you have to do is call on his name and call on him and you can have everything that your heart desires. You can have it all by calling on him. The Bible talks about that the Lord is near to those who are brokenhearted. The Lord is near to those who are brokenhearted. When troubles come your way and when heartbreak comes your way, disappointment, uh, when you've been left alone, when your marriage falls apart, when your health is in question and maybe you've got bad news about health situations, when your children are disappointment, or when you're losing a parent or a loved one or a friend, uh, brokenhearted. The Bible says the Lord is nigh unto those that are brokenhearted. Sometimes major decisions are made to walk with God and serve God right at the point of tragedy or loss or hurt or death. Because we've come, we become aware of our frailty. We become aware of how frail we are and how vulnerable we really are. Sometimes we feel like I can take on the world, but then there's other times we melt and realize that I can't handle this by myself. I've got to have help. And it's in those times when we realize how much we need help from God. It's in those times that we can call on him and the Lord is nigh unto the brokenhearted. When you are humbled in the presence of God, when you say, God, I need you, he's going to be there. He wants to be there. He will be there. The Bible teaches us in Psalms 34 and 18, the Lord is nigh unto the brokenhearted. And save of such is have a contrite spirit. Contrite, which means pliable, moldable. Sometimes when we've got it all put together and we think I can do this on my own and I don't need a pastor and I don't need a church and I don't need brothers and sisters. I'm tough and I'm strong and I can do it. You'll, you'll find out. Just wait a few days. You can be tough today, but there'll be a point that you'll be broken and you're going to need God. You're going to need brothers and sisters. You're going to need a church. You're going to need a pastor. You're going to need those things that God, because he loves you, provides for you. He loves you enough to give you those. David penned this uh, psalm while he was living outside of Israel. He was running from Saul, the king who desired to kill him. He had sought uh, asylum in the protection of Abimelech's territory. And he was running. He was suffering. And he felt like God had deserted him. God had anointed him to be the next king of Israel and 
and he would had anointed him to be someone that God handpicked and hand chose, but he's feeling forsaken by God, and he calls on God, and then he realizes the Lord is nigh unto them. What struggles can people use to focus on God's nearness during suffering, rather than giving most of their attention zeroed in on the pain or the loss or the disappointment, but to understand how good God is. Not too long ago, it's been probably just over a year, if I'm not mistaken, uh, a young lady that many of you knew, I think her last name was Espinoza, uh, from Delano. Her husband was on the freeway and I think rear-ended a truck and was killed. And just a young couple. He was a young, young aspiring minister and had, I think, a couple of daughters. And his wife's uh, comments that I had seen over and over and over again was always trusting God, always understanding that though this has been stripped from me, uh, I still have God and I still have my church and I still have the comfort of God's people and and. Over and over and over again, I've seen comments that she would make that were positive, never charging God, never questioning God, never questioning life, but always saying, you know what, no matter what comes my way, I, I still have God in my life and I still have direction in my life. And what a positive attitude to come out of tragedy. You can focus on the tragedy and it would be overwhelming and debilitating or you can focus on God and realize that God is my refuge. He's my shelter. He's my strong tower. Uh, and the Bible teaches that, that in Psalms 145 includes many wonderful verses that praise God and seeks a relationship. And the Bible says he is near to those that call on him. I've often said it and I say it again this morning. That blind Barnabas sat out by the roadside. And evidently he was a little bit off the beaten path. And if you'll allow me to do what I've done a few times to imagine a little bit that he's off by himself. And I've been told that a person that's blind, so it has no sense of vision, that it makes their ears more keen. They see with their ears. They they understand things that the normal ear doesn't pick up because we can see with the, we hear and then we look to see the answer. They can't look to see so they have to hear the answer. And that simply means that uh, I'll explain it this way, that my mind's eye sometimes I think of blind Bartimaeus, that he's sitting along the road somewhere, maybe with a beggar's cup, maybe, maybe hoping someone will notice and share a little bit of their, their wealth with him. But he hears a sound, and it's the sound of a tumultuous people, a crowd of people. And because his ears are extra sensitive to hearing, he hears, and sometimes he knows the difference when there's a, a political rally. Or perhaps in those days it may be an execution and the crowd gathered. Or it, it, it might be, you know, a game of some kind, a wrestling match or a fight 
or something. He hears the crowd. But on this particular day, he hears a crowd of people, but it's a different sound. And it makes a big difference. If you, if you ever were at my house, sitting at my house in my backyard, and you started hearing dogs barking, most of you would probably just hear dogs barking. But when I hear them barking, I can tell you what's going on. I can tell you there's two dogs fighting between one on each side of a fence, and they're fussing through the fence. I can tell you the difference in the sound when I've actually got a dog fight going on in one of the kennels. And I can also tell you that they're howling at the moon because a fire truck just went by. Uh, and they're, oh, they all get sometimes a whole choir going on out there. And there's all kinds of different sounds that they make. And uh, to the untrained ear, you would just hear dogs barking. I can also hear that sometimes there's a cat walking by or a horse has gotten out or something else is out that's not supposed to be. And they're all excited. It's a different sound, a different bark. I, I've been hunting with a, a professional uh, hunter that takes dogs out that chase mountain lion or bear or, or bobcat uh, and I've been out in the middle of the night where you can't see anything. So all you can do is hear. And I've, I've been there. I remember the first time I went, I, had, I was taking my own truck. And we had some dogs in the back of my truck. And for some reason, we took my truck that particular night. And we had a bunch of dogs back there. And he had one big old, I think his name was Roscoe, big old dog, coonhound, in front of us just trotting along this little logging road. And every once in a while, he'd dip, or, dip off into the brush. Uh, and then he'd come back out trotting ahead of us. And we're just going along with him. And all of a sudden, he goes and dips off in the brush. And you hear this, oh. And boy, those dogs in the back of that truck, they come over the cab, over the side, everything. He struck a scent. And they're taking off. And then you hear all these dogs barking. And he said, yeah, that's Sue. You could hear one going, oh, oh. And another one going, oh, oh. And all of them had different sounds. And he said, yeah, Sue's picked up the scent again. You know, they lost, and he picked up the sin again. And then finally, he would say, they're getting close right now. We can't see them, but the ear was hearing it. And he knew the sound of those dogs. Yeah, they're close now. They've got them in sight right now, and they're all going. And then all of a sudden, he said, it's treed, because their bark changed. When, once they've run the game up the tree, they're all at the bottom of the tree, and they're yodeling. It's a total different sound, because his ears were keen to it. So back to the story of blind Bartimaeus by the road. He heard this sound and he knew something's different. And in my mind, let me, this is not Bible, this is my version. That he would, sir, sir, stop somebody coming by and said, what's going on downtown? It, it's not a fight, it's not a political rally, it's not any of those things. Something's different. And someone would tell him that, oh, that Jesus of Nazareth is in town. And they're following him. Wait, 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 no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Is that the one that heals blinded eyes? Is that the one? Yeah, I think that's the one. And so he's there by the roadside. And as the crowd's getting closer and closer, he realizes they're coming by my way. And when he hears, he can't see it, but when he hears, and he realizes the crowd's somewhere right out close enough, within earshot of him, he cries, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And the Bible says the Lord is nigh 
on those that are brokenhearted. And he also says the Lord responds to people that seek him. Now, he cries, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And some of the disciples said, shh, shh, don't bother the master. He's busy. He's got hundreds of people pressed all around him. And he could have give, given up right there and stayed by the roadside and died a blind man. But in his desperation, he cries, Jesus, even the louder, the Bible says. You're not stopping me, naysayers and critical and, and hushers. He cried, even the louder, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. You know what? This is, again, this is my version. That Jesus stops and says, I hear the sound of a desperate person. I hear someone that's, that's not casually hoping that I might come by his way. It wasn't that he thought, well, you know, if he's really God, he knows I'm over here and he knows I'm blind and he'll come over here to me. And though he was God and though he did know there was a blind man over there, Jesus would have went right on his way ministering to those who are calling out to him, those who are reaching out to him, those who are desperate to touch the hem of his garment. But when he cried, Jesus stopped. And this is, again, this is my, my personal view, that he may have stepped over a stretcher that had crippled people on it. And he pushed aside somebody else that had been brought there by a friend who might have been blind. And he pushed past all of that. He may come back to them later. But right now, he's going to the blind man that is crying, Jesus, have mercy on me. The Lord hears our cries. And if you're in need and you cry out to him, he will not leave you helpless. He will not ignore you. But the Lord will hear your cry and he will come to you. He comes and he ministers to their needs. Prophet, prophets lived in... Very uh, troubled times. And not only does the Lord hear your cry, and he ministers to those that call on him, but God provides very special things for you. The Lord gives you, and we call them pastors today. The Lord gave a prophet. The Lord gave a priest. The Lord gave to his people that ministered to them. And many times God talked to the man of God. In lieu of, he, you say, well, that means he can't speak. No, he can speak to any of us anytime he wants to. God just so chooses that oftentimes he speaks to the man of God who is going to be the go-between, the intercessor, the intermediate. He speaks to the man of God and causes him to minister to you personally or to minister you collectively through the preaching of the word of God. And he touches your heart. And God uses that. What is that? That is a gift that God gives to you. It's a gift that God gives to you. Uh, it, God loves you enough to say, I've got somebody that I'm going to inspire. I've got somebody that I'm going to uh, get excited about. I'm going to give him a word of knowledge. I'm going to give him a special uh, revelation from scripture that he's going to come and he's going to share that with you. And there's sometimes, and I don't know what, probably it's probably never that only one person in the crowd is going to be blessed by it. 
But there's been times that I've come to the pulpit and I've, I've preached and, and I thought, well, you know, my words just didn't flow and, and I, I, I kind of lost my train of thought and my mind went left when I was supposed to be going right and it just didn't work for me tonight. I'm thinking, whew, I about put myself to sleep tonight. I hope the crowd could stay, half of them could stay awake. And I leave the pulpit thinking, boy, i glad that's over. And almost inevitably, somebody will come up to me and say, Pastor, you ministered to my soul today. Now, everybody else might have felt what I felt, or I might have been feeling more than I should have as far as that I didn't get the mail across. But God knows what the needs are. And God gives you a pastor, and sometimes the mic might be too loud, or, or he might uh, be too quiet, or he might... Uh, just kind of get off in something you think well I don't think he needs to be messing with that kind of stuff and, and there, you could have some people may but somewhere somebody who's hungry is going to be fed somewhere somebody that's saying Jesus thou son of David have mercy on me somebody's going to get ministered to today and if you don't get, go home feeling that you've been fed by the word of God it's not going to be God's fault it's going to be be because you didn't like it because it was spinach tonight and you wanted round, round steak and gravy or maybe you wanted tacos or maybe you wanted uh, flaming yawn but it, it, it's, it's something that's different today but you just simply if you want to get fed what, the way I grew up is whatever mama put on the table we ate oh I don't like that stuff well too bad son you didn't like peas? You're going to eat your portion of peas. And you're going to eat this. And, and this is what mama put on the table. And that's what you're going to eat. And we, that's the way I grew up. I didn't like peas. So I, but we had ketchup. So the peas were there. I got to eat my portion of peas. So I put ketchup on them. And I could, I could stand them that way. Now today I don't mind peas. It's not my favorite, but if peas are in something, that's fine with me. But uh, what I'm saying, you come to the house of God, it may not be your favorite meal. But you're going to say, come on, God, preach to me. And sometimes I'm going to be mature enough to realize this message may not be for me. It may be somebody else that needed what is being said tonight. It's not that I'm just pitchforking it and throwing it off to somebody else because don't, I don't want that part. It's that I'm saying sometimes it may not ring your bell. Sometimes it may, may not make you get up on a, Woo! Boy, that was good tonight. Sometimes you may feel like the preacher that feels like that he just dropped the ball tonight. And you may be here thinking, boy, he dropped the ball tonight. But somebody may be fed that came, that was hungry. Some that cried out, Jesus, have mercy on me. God gives us a minister. All of Israel's neighbors had priests to help them and appease their gods and give them victory over their enemies. But Israel's priests, however, proclaimed the message that there was only one God that existed. It was not the gods of the sun, the moon, the stars, or, or graven images that they made, but Jehovah God was the only God. And they had someone that ministered to them. Much of the priest's work was done in and around the tabernacle. And all the functions of worship and, and sacrifices and all of that was performed. But it was God's gift 
to the children of Israel, they had a priest, they had a prophet, they had someone among them. He gave them the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day to tell them when to move when they're through, go, traveling through the deserts of life. He guided them. He protected them. And the prophets spoke to God, and then they spoke to the people of God. And they lived in such a way that uh, it didn't matter if it was the king or if it was a pauper or a po'boy, as us country boys would say. It didn't matter whether you were at the top of the social scale or ladder or at the lower rung, it really didn't matter. But what mattered was that God could speak to all of them. And it was the prophet Nathan that went to the king, David, the king, the all-powerful, like a dictator. If he said your head's chopped off, your head was going to leave. He said whatever it was he said to do, he commanded his word was the last word. But the man of God was inspired by God and went to David. And you know the story of the sheep and the lamb. And after David had committed sin and, and uh, stolen his neighbor's wife while he was away at war. And the man of God went to the king that could have said, take, and it happened many times that way, that someone said something the king didn't like. He didn't care whether you're a prophet or not, throw you in jail. But his responsibility was the same. And Nathan went to David and said, Thou art the man. Thou art the man. You say, well, boy, he took a big risk. No, he was obeying God. And sometimes the man of God comes and it may not be the voice you want to hear. Sometimes it may be the voice of rebuke or the voice of correction. Sometimes it may be a voice of of concern but it comes and if you have a voice that speaks into your life you need to thank God every day God you love me enough to give me a watchman over my soul to protect me to guide me God gives that it's one of God's loving things that he does for us there was a time in the children of Israel when the the king of the moment wanted to serve Yahweh or Jehovah God and also to serve Baal and he was just going to be like we have today politically correct everybody does that which is right in their own eyes but God called a man of God Elijah to come and say let's see who God is if, if he said I want you I'll make a deal with you you take as much time as you want you call on the name of your gods and we've got the sacrifice here and you call fire down to your gods to bring fire down from heaven and consume this sacrifice. And you've got as much time as you need. Take your liberty. They called on the name of their gods. They rent themselves. They tore their clothes. They literally took sharp rocks and stuff and cut themselves and shed their blood and made them bleed. And they, they did everything in their power to, to call their god. And, and Elijah sat back and laughed at them. Ah, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he went on vacation. Finally, when he was through with all the taunting and the carrying on, he said, I want you to bring me a barrel of water. No, bring me 12 barrels of water. Pour all over the sacrifice. Nobody's going to think it's a magic, magic trick. 
And then he just sim simply said, okay, God, it's now time for you to show your power that you are the God, that you are the only true God. He said, coming, and the Bible says the fire of God came down and consumed the sacrifice. Didn't matter that it was wetted with water, but he consumed it all, uh, and that all would, all would know, and the people said, let God be God. God had sent a man of God among them to lead them and guide them. The, the prophet saw that both nations fall in God's absolute commitment to preserving a remnant of his promises. Isaiah witnessed to the king's refusal to engage in a conversation with God to save Israel. He also saw a promised child who would carry the government on his shoulders and his name would be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9 and 6, Isaiah understood that the God of the universe was a child that was going to be born. A son was given. The government would be upon his shoulders. His name would be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. It's all in him. We understand his greatness. Emmanuel simply means God with us. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Who will? The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. This was all the way back the prophet Isaiah spoke. And then we see in Matthew 1.21, a child was born, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which be interpreted is God with us. God not only wanted to be with us, but he would bridge the gap between a holy God, the Spirit of God, and sinful man, and the Son, the flesh, Jesus Christ, became the Son of God, the flesh of God, that bridged the gap from a holy God to sinful man. And God provided the ransom, the sacrifice, the last lamb that was ever needed to be shed. His blood was shed. He became the lamb, the sacrificial lamb, whose blood was shed, no matter how much my sins were on me, I could be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ by faith. My sins can be forgiven, and I can be found clean in the presence of God. And I close, the disciples thought they were losing something when Jesus went away. Instead, when they were feeling so lost and so alone that didn't understand that he's going to go away, they didn't understand but their relationship with God took on a total new dimension. He was with them, not, no, not any longer beside them, but now they received the Holy Ghost, which gave them strength and empowered them. He would live, and so would they, with the Holy Spirit. People can confidently know, without a doubt, that Emmanuel, God, is with us. Let's stand to our feet. Clap your hands and thank the Lord for his goodness today.